From Ramsey Network, this is The Fine Print, a show where we talk about the hidden truths that are keeping you broke. I'm George Camel, and this week we're talking about a financial rock bottom most people hope to never hit, bankruptcy. Even on the Wheel of Fortune, or in a seemingly never-ending game of Monopoly, bankruptcy is a disheartening, anxiety-inducing thing to face. Whether you filed, know someone who filed, have thought about filing, hope to never file, or have just wondered about it, this episode is for you. We'll cover exactly what bankruptcy is, who it's for, and what it can or can't solve financially. And if you haven't heard much about bankruptcy lately, that could all change pretty soon. While bankruptcy filings are actually down right now, there's a major storm on the horizon that could affect millions of Americans. To help us understand this crisis and the nitty-gritty of bankruptcy, you'll hear from a bankruptcy attorney of 40 years, a family that was on the brink of filing, and a man who's been through it and has now made it his life mission to help others avoid the same fate. Before we dive in, let's get to a simple definition first. Bankruptcy is a legal court proceeding where you tell the judge you can't pay your debts anymore. And then you go through the whole process of trying to get those debts cleared from your name. And you should know, the process isn't as easy as just shouting, I declare bankruptcy! at the top of your lungs like Michael Scott did in the office. You can't just say it super loud and then walk away with all your debts magically erased. It's a lot more complicated than that. Even more complicated than Jim Halpert's pranks on Dwight Schrute, minus any level of good-natured fun. There's no laughing here. There's no fun and games with bankruptcy. It's messy. I'm talking break up with your high school sweetheart the night before prom messy. Oh, and listening to some angsty dashboard confessional alone in your room won't help you get through it either. Trust me, I tried. Bankruptcy is a gut-wrenching, super emotional process that puts all of your money problems out there for all to see. Like in public documents that your future employer, banks, clients, even your next door neighbor can get access to. Not to mention all of the legal hassle and paperwork that comes along with it. And even with all that hassle, lots of people go through it. In fact, according to the United States courts, from 2016 through 2020, 3.5 million people filed for non-business bankruptcy. In five years. If you're doing the sad math at home, that's almost 2,000 people per day on average. These were people who were sinking in debt and couldn't take it anymore to the point that they waved a white flag of financial surrender in a last-ditch effort to wipe their debt slate clean. In some more hopeful news, in 2021, thanks to the long list of government aid since the pandemic, like the multiple stimulus checks, child tax credits, pause on evictions, and extended student loan relief, the number of folks filing for bankruptcy is down to the lowest numbers since 1985, according to the Administrative Office of the U.S. Courts. Now, that might sound like a good thing, which it is, but according to one bankruptcy expert I talked to, it could mean that a tidal wave of bankruptcies is on the way. That expert is Hank Hildebrand. He's been on the front line in bankruptcy court for almost 40 years, which is longer than I've been alive. And as the standing trustee for Chapter 12 and 13 bankruptcies in Tennessee, every one of those filings goes through his hands. So I peppered him with questions to help untangle this complex ball of bankruptcy yarn. It's great to have you with us today on the podcast. I'm glad to be here. So uh, you've mentioned that you feel like we're heading into a perfect storm when it comes to bankruptcy. What does that mean? Well, it means that for the past year and a half, we've been in a pandemic. And the pandemic has not only been a health issue, it's been a fiscal issue. It's been a financial problem. Clearly, it has significantly impacted a 
huge number of people in this country. And they've lost jobs. People don't have the money. So nobody files bankruptcy. Nobody needs it because the government is sending them benefits and you can't foreclose. And up until last month, you couldn't evict anyone. So things were slow. Now, what does that mean? It means that over the next several months, as these stop, the federally enhanced benefits from unemployment terminate. They're, they're over now. And the moratorium on evictions, people who are in apartments getting evicted because they haven't paid rent, that moratorium is not valid anymore. So you're seeing a lot of people going, all right, the relief is about to be over and it's like that old scene in The Simpsons where Mr. Burns says, release the hounds. And it's about to be a dark situation for a lot of people who can't afford their mortgage payment. Now foreclosures are starting and all the government relief is over and they're going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I still don't have this income. I can't pay back all this debt. And what's my biggest fear? My biggest fear is they're not going to do anything. My biggest fear is that this is going to happen. They're going to be contacted by a mortgage company and they're just going to put it off. Every debtor's attorney that I talk to will tell me stories about the people that come to their office with the shopping bag filled with bills and notices and mailings that they've gotten that are not even opened that people are ignoring the threat. You know, maybe it'll go away. So they're just, they just don't want to deal with it. They're kind of in la-la land and denial going, this is too dark. I don't want to open this thing because then I have to deal with it if I open it. I'll know too much. You know, that's correct. And most of the time when people come into Chapter 13 to try and save their house, it's right on the eve of a foreclosure sale. And it's very um, disconcerting because I know that all these... These avenues are available to avoid this, but um, people won't do it. Let's pause here real quick. You might be hearing all of these chapter numbers and wondering, what book is this guy reading from? Those chapter numbers come from the United States Bankruptcy Code. And while there are six different types of bankruptcy, only two are relevant to you, 13 and 7. And while 13 is traditionally an unlucky number and 7 is perceived as lucky, if you're experiencing either of these, I'd say you are out of luck. Chapter 13 bankruptcy is essentially a repayment plan, where the court approves a plan for you to repay some or all of your debts over 3 to 5 years. With Chapter 13, you get to keep your assets and you're given time to bring your mortgage up to date. You agree to a monthly payment plan and have to follow a strict budget monitored by the court. Side note. There is no privacy in bankruptcy. It's their business to be all up in your business. Chapter 7 bankruptcy is the more common type you hear about where the court sells all of your assets, with some exceptions, in order to pay back as much of your debt as possible. The remaining unpaid debt is usually erased. With Chapter 7, you could lose your home or the equity you've put into it and your car in the process, depending on what the court decides. And there's no set amount of debt you need to qualify. The court just has to decide you don't make enough money to pay off your debt. As far as the other chapters go, unless you're a business, city, town, school, farmer, or fisherman, you don't need to worry about these types of bankruptcy today. We've got enough to worry about with Unlucky 7 and 13. Let's get back to my conversation with Hank. All these these avenues are available to avoid this, but people won't do it. 
So people really need to be proactive with communicating with the lenders and going, hey, here's my situation and let's work something out before you go, hey, I'm going to foreclose on your house and kick you out. Absolutely. That is an absolutely correct statement. And the fear that I've got is that the you won't respond. They're under an obligation under the new rules of the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, to make contact with you. Now, if you ignore them, if you don't respond to the phone calls, you don't respond to the notices or the emails and, or the mailings you get that say contact us, if you don't do that, they'll go ahead and foreclose. So don't bury your head in the sand That's and easy. pretend it's going to exactly. go away. Exactly. The sooner you start, the better it's going to be. Mm. It seems like there's a lot of ways to avoid bankruptcy, but it seems like it's just this – it's an easy way out, right? It's just, well, it's, it's going to give me this clean slate. Are most people that you deal with truly needing a bankruptcy or is it kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card? It's both, but the vast majority are people that are absolutely at the end of their financial rope. And there's some things you can point to and say, what caused bankruptcy? And that 16 years ago when the creditors rewrote the bankruptcy law, it was credit cards. You know, these people ran up all these debts on credit cards. That was the big problem. But now the problems are the catastrophe, which would be you lose your job. Now, that that hits you twice because you lose your job, you lose your income, and you lose health insurance. Or just anybody gets sick and you're still working. The insurance isn't going to cover everything. And so you're hit by that. Divorce, that happens. And now all of a sudden, the two incomes that were paying for one household, now you have one income apiece for each separate household. And people can't afford it to maintain the lifestyle that they've got. They do have to learn to cut back. For people who listen, people who are taking that initiative, there's an avenue for them to be able to get out of this. So what are the top reasons you find people do have to file where they go, okay, this is a situation that you may not be able to climb out of quickly enough? Well, one is burying your head in the sand right there because you were a couple of months behind on your mortgage. Now you're 12 months behind on your mortgage. Uh, It is mostly people where something terrible happens to them. Mm. They have to do something. A lot of them will file Chapter 7 that quick, it's done in four months, and uh, you lose anything, it's not exempt. Well, here's the hidden secret. 96% of the people that file Chapter 7 don't have anything. So you're saying there's nothing to take. They don't have any assets. That's right. They have nothing to their name. That's right. So they're like, well, what's the worst that can happen? That's right. I got nothing to lose here. That's right. They, mm. they sometimes get hit with a garnishment. Some states prohibit garnishments. Where they take money from your paycheck. That's right, to pay your debt. And that's done through the court system. But in Tennessee or in a lot of other states, the garnishment system is what tends to force people to do something. They've got to stop that coming out of their paycheck. So they may file a straight bankruptcy, Chapter 7, or may file a Chapter 13 and be able to pay Which is more of a repayment plan. It is a repayment plan. So I want to talk about the 
things that can be discharged through bankruptcy and the things that can't. Because a lot of people think, well, no matter what kind of debt I have, I can just get rid of it through a bankruptcy. But that's oh, just not the case. It's not. It's not the case. There are a lot of things that Congress has said, and a lot of them were added in that 2005. There are a lot of things you can't get rid of. Some of them make sense. It is if you have a support obligation, child support, alimony, you're not going to get any help out of bankruptcy. Maybe you have a criminal fine or a restitution obligation. That's not going anywhere in bankruptcy. Maybe you have recent taxes, you know, taxes within the past three years. You just can't get rid of that. If maybe you have committed fraud, you know, you ran up a bunch of bills, went to Cancun knowing you were going to file bankruptcy. The biggest one though, student loans. You cannot get rid of a student loan. We have now trillions trillions, $1.7 trillion of student loan debt out there. The thing that I see from sitting across the table from people who have filed bankruptcy is the number of people who are still carrying their own student loan debt. And it's been 20, 25 years since they graduated, and it's still an anchor around their neck. Or what's worse, people who are over 70, 65, 70, and they've signed on for their grandkids, and now they owe the student loan, and they can't get rid of it. And they're going into retirement with their income is going to go down, and they can't deal with that. Wow. Now, a lot of things out there you can't discharge. I mean, that leaves what? Credit card? Well, you get bills, credit cards, medical, debt. medical bills. You got these places that loan you money. I call them the tertiary lenders, you know, the ones on the corner. Like a payday lender. Yeah, a payday yeah. lenders, you know. You know so many big words. I'm very impressed. I guess, <laughs> you know, being in the business that long, you just learn them. Yeah, you have to pick them up. You know, one of the things I tell people is this, if you talk to somebody, don't use jargon because nobody will understand what you're talking about. So what are the danger signs that our listeners should be looking out for to make sure they don't end up in your office or another attorney's office trying to file bankruptcy? Well, the first thing is that is that you want to know, are you missing payments? Are you late on payments? You know, you, you tell yourself, oh, I can make that up my next paycheck. But you're missing payments. You're getting late something's wrong. It's kind of like that funny sound you hear in your car and you do, oh, I don't know. You know maybe, maybe maybe it's nothing. But You just turn up the music louder. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And eventually, your car's going to break down. And if you don't pay attention, the, the earlier you pay attention to this, the easier it's going to be. Well, this has been uh, eye-opening for me. I learned a lot. So thank you for the work you do, Hank. Well, I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad that people are going to take an effort to do better and get out of this. Behind every courtroom case that Hank has seen is a real person, a real family living their day-to-day -day with the weight of debt around their necks. And you might think, well, they got themselves into that mess through wild shopping sprees and frivolous spending. But the number one reason for bankruptcy is actually medical debt. That's right. A study from academic researchers shows that about 67% of people who file for bankruptcy do it because they're drowning in medical bills. It's a sad reality that many Americans face. And one family I spoke to was willing to share their story. 
Meet Chad and Siobhan Atherton. So let's talk bankruptcy. You guys have this crazy story back in 2012 involving your daughter. Tell us what was going on in your life and what led you to this point. We had uh, refinanced our home in 07. Um, We had built up some credit card debt. We were told that we were supposed to use lines of credit because my credit score wasn't very big. Uh, So I was using the credit cards basically as a savings account. And then what happened was our middle daughter, Paige, had um, hip issues, hip dysplasia. She had one surgery in 2011. That particular surgery, we found out 10 to 11 months after that it just didn't work. And uh, so we just, you do what every parent does. You try to prep yourself to get through it because it's your girl. And so uh, February 27th was her surgery date, and we were notified a week before that, that our health insurance was going to change, and it, it quickly went to crisis mode at that point. Oh, my goodness. So this was already emotionally traumatic, and now it was starting to get financially traumatic. Correct. So what started to happen on the money side as your daughter tried to get back to health and deal with these surgeries? It was actually worse than we thought. We were going to get hit with both deductibles because she was going to be in the hospital for the whole week. And initially, we were thinking $6,000. But what had happened was when we got down to Boston Children's, I sat down with the, they call it the family care people. And they said, Chad, you know, with this surgery, she's three, four years old. You're going to have to come back down here. This process is not going to stop. So at the end of the day, we were looking at about $10,000 over an 18-month period. And you guys didn't have an emergency fund, and the credit card was your emergency fund. You were going, well, we'll just swipe if we need to. And It was worse than that, George. We had the three credit cards, and then I ended up getting a home equity line on our home. Our furnace went down, and the, the credit cards were maxed. I wasn't making enough income, but... Before I knew it, I had $10,000 balance on a home equity line as well. Wow. What was your total debt at that point that you guys owed? The total consumer debt before the medical was $21,000, $22,000. So the surgery happens and you get the medical bill. What was that bill like? When I spoke to Boston Children's, they said, we don't want you to worry. You can pay minimums. We'll get you on a plan, but you know, it's going, it's going to be scary. We weren't just getting one bill. We were getting eight different bills from eight different departments. So Siobhan, what were you feeling at this point and what were you aware of as far as finances went? For me, I think I was very oblivious to how much trouble we were in. Um, I kind of had my head in the sand type method for dealing with it. I was really overwhelmed by the care for Paige and for the other kiddos at my home. And I could start to see and feel the stress that Chad was carrying. It was, it's a lot. When we were paying the payments to the hospital and I'd have to pay all these separate bills. And I remember crying each time I'd have to share my debit card numbers. It was just, it was a lot. So what were the next steps So you guys went, all right, we got to figure out how to get out of this mess. What advice were you getting and what next step did you take? I had an emergency meeting with my parents and my father's recommendation was maybe you can refinance the house into a 60-year mortgage, drop your house payment, 
and then be able to handle this debt. And so I made it. Sixty years? Do people live that long once they get a mortgage? That's wild. (laughs) Well, you looked at me and said, just to get through the debt and then you can refinance back to a 30. I ended up having a meeting with our credit union that had the mortgage. And I sat down with a mortgage broker and the VP of the bank. They did have a 50-year product. They ran the refi and I didn't qualify because our debt-to-income ratio was was a mess. So that was when the term bankruptcy got brought up. It just scared me. Uh, bank was concerned because they expected me to make the payments on our current mortgage. And so the recommendation was looking into either debt consolidation or bankruptcy because they thought maybe the credit cards and the, and the medical bills could be bankruptable. Give us a fresh start. or Because my problem was I knew we owed it. Bottom line was the credit cards, I knew we owed the money. And and so it just, it didn't sit well. The other thing that was brought up during this meeting was forbearance. And I'll tell anybody, if you can avoid it or if you hear those words, just run away. Um, but basically, they offered me forbearance and they called it grace. But basically, they said if I couldn't make the mortgage payments, they could give me a three to six month period. thought it was weird. So then afterwards, when I spoke with an accountant friend of mine, he explained it to me as they give you the three month period, but then they'll double up on your interest payments and you either have to pay it all at once or on the back end of the loan. So he said he really wasn't helping you as much as he was selling you. So that really was an eye opener at that point. Whoa. So, I mean, are you just like frantic at this point? It just feels like the walls are closing in on you guys. Well, where were you at emotionally, Chad, trying to shoulder all of this? Emotionally, um, coming out of the family service meeting, I had hit rock bottom personally. Um, Just really upset with myself. But Paige just got out of surgery and I walked up to the room and I'm standing in the doorway and I just looked at him and uh, my wife's in a pullout cot and my daughter is in a full body cast from her chest to her ankles and um, anger really started boiling over. It was more than anger. So pissed off beyond thinking, just seeing my, my daughter and my wife there. I just a switch and I said, um, I'm done with this. We're going to figure a way out. I don't care what I have to do. I'm not playing around anymore. We're going to figure this out. And so I left and I ended up going to a hotel next to the uh, hospital and started to research and try to figure out what I was going to do. Wow. So you were like, I'm not doing this bankruptcy. I'm not doing this forbearance. I'm not doing this debt consolidation. We're going to scratch and claw and do this the hard way. I'm like, I've been on defense here for a whole week. I've got a target on my back and everyone's just heaping up on us. I'm done with this. This is absolutely ridiculous. If I need to pick a fight and, and this isn't, we're going to figure this out. I don't care what we have to do, but um, I'm done with this. I just, I told myself, I don't care if I have to 
put Siobhan and all three girls over my shoulders. I'm going to drag them across the finish line. We're doing this process. <laughs> and uh, that was the decision I made. And, and uh, I wasn't going to back down. So how much debt total did you guys have and how long did it take to pay it all off? We, uh, we ended up total, including the house, we paid off $207,000. Holy crap. <laughs> you guys went from being on the verge of bankruptcy to then cash flowing six figures worth of stuff. So what would you say to someone who's maybe where you guys were, where you're now considering bankruptcy and they're going, hey, I don't know that I can take on this mountain of debt in front of me and it feels like the walls are caving in on me. What do you say to that person? Uh, I would just say get the facts, talk to the professionals, find a plan. But, but the biggest thing is focus, focus yeah. and, and drive and don't be afraid to ask for help. Wow. You guys are incredible. What a, what a testament to sacrifice, to hard work, to doing whatever it takes to take care of your family, to be financially ready for whatever comes your way. Thank you guys so much for sharing your story. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. The Atherton story is both heartbreaking and inspiring. And even though they were on the brink of bankruptcy, they were able to take control and avoid filing. But unfortunately, not everyone is able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. They lose hope and feel like they're out of options. What's interesting is that lots of people experience emotional bankruptcy before they ever do it financially. They're tired, beat, worn out, and drained. They've probably been paying on this mountain of bills for so long that they don't even remember life before they were chained to their debts. So with all this downside, where's the upside in filing bankruptcy? Well, when you file bankruptcy, there is some immediate relief. No longer will you be chased down by phone calls from creditors at home and at work. The embarrassment ends, the harassment stops, and you can finally wake up from this bad dream you've been living in. But with all that immediate relief comes long-term consequences too. To get a better grasp on the full bankruptcy experience, I talked to a guy who's actually been through it. 33 years ago, he waved that white flag of financial surrender during the darkest time of his life. And while rebuilding from the rubble of bankruptcy, he turned his hardship into a company that would give millions of people financial hope for years to come. His name? Dave Ramsey. He's the nationally syndicated host of The Ramsey Show, a seven-time best-selling author, and he just happens to be my CEO. We got into the nitty-gritty of what his bankruptcy experience was like and talked through what he's seen over 30 years of helping people avoid and get through the pit of bankruptcy. So Dave, 33 years ago, just about, you filed for bankruptcy. And it's, it's a big part of your story, and it's a big part of why uh, people trust you. How many memories do you have from 33 years ago going through that traumatic experience? Well, I think the word is traumatic. And the, anytime you have a visceral, highly emotional, uh, scarring experience, the memories stick more than something that's just like, that, that doesn't matter, you know. But this was gut-wrenching. Uh, you know, like you talk to someone who had a divorce 30 years ago that was a nasty process. They can, they can remember every bit of it. And it's not because they're mentally ill. or It's just because that depth of emotion sears it into your memory deep. So, yeah, I remember every bit of it clearly. <laughs> Especially as a 26-year-old. You know, you're, you're married. You had a baby. 
and you're going, this is it. Like this is financial rock bottom. I mean, is there anything worse financially than bankruptcy? For us, I mean, I, I was uh, had fought for two and a half years, and I can't feed my family. And uh, yeah, it was real. So it was devastating in that regard, just the, the extreme financial strain resulting in bankruptcy. The bankruptcy itself uh, was just the, you know, the very bottom of a, That's just paperwork know, a long that valley of death, you know. Yeah. That bankruptcy filing hangs up in our building, and it really is the hallmark of, of the story, the catalyst of you going, there's, there's got to be a different way. Is that what started you on this path of, I want to help people avoid this kind of financial doom in the future? Truthfully, helping other people was the second step. The first thing I wanted to do is how not to screw up again. What I had tried didn't work. What I was taught didn't work. I was obviously living in a land of mythology. And so in terms of financial principles, the ones I believed were apparently wrong because they didn't work. And so the first goal was not help others. I'm not that noble. First goal was I don't want to ever hurt like this again. How do you avoid it? Never again. So what were the details of that journey? Because you went from, you know, really being rich, especially back then and by the standards from which you grew up to then the pendulum swinging way over here to where it all came crashing down. How does that happen? Well, the, you know, we started with nothing, and I bought my house, or flip house, for nothing down. Uh, I flipped it and made $800, which should have told me to stop right there, but I didn't. So I thought, well, I'll get, now, now I'll make more next time, you know. So I got out, but I didn't make any money. And then I flipped another one, and I made about 10000 But in every case, I was borrowing 100% of the, of the purchase price lending from a bank on a 90-day note. And the banker was a guy that I just went in and I just convinced him that I knew what I was doing, that I could buy houses at a deal, and that I could turn them over in 90 days and make a profit. So your goal was to buy these houses and within three months, flip it, sell it, give the lender their money back, and you make some profit. And then go do it again. Yeah. And I did it repeatedly to the point that they, the lenders, I, I did it a bunch with one bank and then I got another bank talked into it because I showed them what I was doing over here. And they're like, okay. So when a, one banker would say, I can't loan you anymore. When I, like I got up to the first bank, I got up to a million dollars in debt with them. He said, I can't go any further on this. This is speculative real estate. That's as far as I can go. So I went to another bank, got another 800,000 going. And occasionally I would throw one off onto a mortgage and keep it as a rental. And so we had a portfolio of rental property built in there as well. And so we had about $4 million worth of real estate and about $3 million worth of debt. The larger portion of the debt was the 90-day notes. So the first bank that I was so in with gets bought by a bank from out of town. And a guy looks down at the portfolio and goes, there's a kid 26 years old. I was just a million two on 90-day notes. And if I didn't sell the house in 90 days, I would just pay the interest and they would renew it for 90 days. It was a healthy business, healthy portfolio. But the guy in the other city looked down and, you know, I guess he had to make his mark or whatever. And um, they came in and they fired the guy that was making me the loans because of claiming he was incompetent. And then they uh, came in and, you know, were nasty to me and called our notes. Um, And then they put the word out, which is illegal as crud. And the second lender heard I was in trouble because they told him I was in trouble, and he called my notes. And so I ended up with about $2 million in 90-day notes from those two lenders that were called within 90 days. And so meaning that next time this note comes up, you're not renewing it. 
So you got to clear out everything out of this portfolio and be out of business basically in 90 days. And there was no way to get it all sold perfectly and do that. So I started basically giving properties away. You know, the weird thing is we paid it from $3 million over two and a half years of scratching and clawing down to 312000 Almost made it. Almost turned the corner. Uh, but then we were sued so many times, and some of the lawsuits started to come take the furniture out of the house, and uh, I was out of gas emotionally, out of gas spiritually, out of gas financially. And so I remember they were scheduled uh, uh, what's called a recovery company, which is a company that gets a percentage of what they can find of your assets to apply to the lawsuit, was coming to take the furniture on a Friday morning with a sheriff's order. And uh, on Thursday afternoon, we filed to stop that because bankruptcy puts an injunction on that and stops all that. But I remember, you know, it was being a drama queen, but I was like, well, they took everything else. They can't take the baby bed. Like we couldn't get a baby bed. But, you know, the, the, I was just, that was that was a sign I was just done. I was just a baked chicken at that point. Wow. So what were some of those emotions that you're feeling? Obviously, that you were talking about this emotional side, this rock bottom moment you remember feeling where you just had this, you know, did you feel like a failure as a, as a father, as a husband, as an entrepreneur? Uh, a failure in all of those things every day for that whole two and a half years. Because I'm riding high, but I built a house of cards. And obviously, the Jenga tower I built is coming down, right? And so, and nobody can really be blamed for this but me. I mean, you can blame these bankers for being unreasonable, and they were unreasonable. And they did lie, and they did do a bunch of underhanded things. But... If I hadn't structured it that way, they wouldn't have been able to. So it's my fault. You and put yourself part, at risk. Part of healing from this stuff, folks, is you take responsibility and you don't go, well, it's the government's fault. I'm not a victim. I'm a victim of my own stupidity is what I was a victim of. My own greed because I was going so fast that I – and I thought I was invincible that and arrogance that, that it couldn't be touched. So, yeah, then when it starts unraveling, you know, you're, you're in fight or flight mode all the time. So it was uh, it was like manic depressive for two and a half years because you're either in a get your fist doubled up, swinging at something, fighting, scratching, clawing, you know, busting up into these conflict situations every day. And then, you know, uh, get home that night and take a shower and I just start shaking all over and I'm trembling and I'm so scared I can't breathe and I stand in the shower crying. And uh, so you go from just sheer terror to uh, to fight mode and back. And so this... You know, it's a study in surviving a, a walking mental health problem. <laughs> wow. So you take calls about bankruptcy all the time on The Ramsey Show. What are some of the common reasons people think, Dave, I think we need to file for bankruptcy? What leads people to that point? It's not a, it's not a mathematical thing. They're scared. They don't know what to do. All they know is what they're doing is not working. Their home's three payments behind, get, the car got repoed, um, and this is spiraling out of control, and I can't find a place to get a handhold, and I'm just going down. The sense of I'm drowning, I'm going down for the third time, and I, no one can help me. And, and when you're very, very, very smart people, when you're overwhelmed emotionally like that, you cannot see clearly the options that are available to you. It's hard to do good critical thinking. And so it has more to do with that than it does their mathematically, legally 
bankrupt. And in that state of emotion, they go to a professional to try to get some advice, to try to get some help. Called a bankruptcy attorney who advertises that they can help if you have debt problems. And asking a bankruptcy attorney if you're bankrupt is like asking a dog if it's hungry. They say there, absolutely there are, do there it. There are a handful of bankruptcy attorneys who will send you back out the door and say, listen, if you do this, it's going to make a bigger mess than you've already got. Here's what you need to do. You need to do this, 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 and this. And I can't help you with that, but don't file. But that's so rare. I mean, I've had bankruptcy attorneys file on $3,000 worth of debt. No, you, no one should ever file bankruptcy. But the number of times I find under $10,000 bankruptcies, and see, that's just malpractice. And some of these guys, I mean, think about it. It takes $1,000 to file. Yeah. It costs money. People don't realize you that. You file and you pay $1,000 to get rid of $3,000. And when you finished, the $3,000 is gone, the $1,000 is gone, and you still don't have a job. You still got exactly the same problems as when you walked in there. I can see all of that. I can even see clearly the structure that I had with 312000 left. I could have made it, knowing what I know now. I wasn't out of structural options. I could have filed an injunction on that recovery company, stopped them, at least stiff-armed them a little bit, and in the meantime, gone and settled that debt and worked it out. I almost made it. I was not out of options. I was out of gas. And so that's the problem. And then you live with that regret, the regret of being stupid on steroids, stupid with zeros on the end the rest of your life. I'm a guy who's done stupid, so I know what it looks like, so I can empathize with your stupid. But in no case ever have I said, oh, I'm proud I filed bankruptcy, and I suggest that as a way of straightening up your life. It's a life-altering major decision, and you are treating the symptom. Debt is not the problem. It's the symptom of buying stuff you can't afford. It's the symptom of going, you know, an income problem. It's the symptom of being disorganized and chaotic. It's a symptom, in my case, of greed and arrogance. And if you don't fix the symptom, the problem's going to come right back roaring at you. It's clear that Dave wants everyone to avoid bankruptcy at all costs. And the drum he's been beating for over 30 years now continues to give people hope that they can take control of their money, pay off their debt, and create financial stability for themselves and their families. There's lots of ways to get out of debt without resorting to a financial atomic bomb. If you've got what feels like a mountain of debt in your life, maybe you've lost hope. Maybe you can't see another way out. But don't give up. You've got options. Here are some practical things you can do to start to clean this mess up and get debt out of your life for good. First off, make sure you're taking care of what we call the four walls. That's food, utilities, shelter, and transportation. If you're at rock bottom, don't pay anyone else until you've got these basic expenses covered. Next, sell everything in sight that you own. If you can get 10, 50, 100 bucks for it, get rid of it, like right now. Take the money you make from that and put it toward getting bills up to date and getting your debt paid off. And if you're not already making a plan for every dollar you have coming in, today is the day you start. You need to live on a bare-bones budget. That means cutting any and all expenses you don't absolutely need for survival. Streaming services, cable, expensive cell phone plans, eating out, online shopping, vacations, it all needs to be put on hold until you're out of debt. Another thing you can do is get a second job and maybe a third job. Having an extra source of income can help you avoid bankruptcy. 
I know it may not be fun working more hours or delivering groceries or pizza, but remember, this situation is temporary. You won't have to live like this forever. One thing you need to watch out for is debt consolidation services. The quote promise with these services is that you'll be able to pay off your debts by combining them into one lower monthly payment at one lower interest rate. And while that may seem like a good option, the fine print is that you'll be in debt a whole lot longer. Yikes. Not the goal here. Debt consolidation doesn't fix any problems. It just shuffles them around. Lastly, one of the best things you can do to avoid bankruptcy is to work with a financial coach. They can take a look at where you stand with your money right now with no judgment, help you develop a solid plan, and cheer you on as you tackle this debt. Together, you'll walk out of this financial wreck and into financial security once and for all. You've been listening to The Fine Print. If you've enjoyed it, subscribe, follow, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts and share it with a friend who needs to hear this. Our show is produced by Chris Wright, Eric Cheslevich, and Chris Dean. Our associate producer is Amanda Rogers. This episode was engineered and mixed by Will Rudder. Special thanks to Kelsey Bridges for help with writing and research. Our executive producer is Blake Thompson. I'm George Camel, and remember, if Michael Scott would have just paid off all of his debt, he could have yelled, I'm debt free! Instead of, I declare bankruptcy! Mm, that could have been a great episode. Fine print listeners, we want to hear from you. Yeah, you. If you've got a story of falling for a money trap, believing a money myth, or not reading the fine print, give us a call and tell us all about it. You can call us at 855-855-5776. That's 855-855-5776. Or you can always email us at thefineprint at ramseysolutions.com. And to make life easy for you, we've got all that info in the episode show notes.